0: Heavenly Father, Father, again, we are just thankful to be here at camp meeting. Father, we thank you for the sunshine today and the pleasant weather. More than this, Lord, we thank you for the Spirit of God who has been present on this campground and we ask for his continued guidance in our learning and understanding. Uh, I would pray that you bless all of the seminars going on now across Camp Meeting, Lord, uh, that we would all be drawn closer to you and experience spiritual revival, that we may be able to finish the work you've given us to do and hasten the coming of Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. Yesterday, we talked a little about um, what we've done so far, actually, is we've covered kind of crash course, some basic soul winning stuff. In fact... This always happens to us. I was talking to Cameron about it yesterday. Yesterday, we talked about Bible studies. I had two periods. We have done this in training in churches for the last several months, and we would allot like two classes for it. Um, actually, no, we allotted one class for it, and I kept telling Cameron, I need another class for it so I can cover the material. So that's what I did here. And yesterday, as like Cameron said, I came in after part one, and you were on number one still or whatever. Well, one of the challenges is, oh, I better stop talking about him. But one of the challenges is, um, we'll go into train, and, you know, we've got to distill what we're going to cover. What are we going to cover about giving Bible study? So, my purpose yesterday was not to cover, like, a lot of times I'll talk about how to get the Bible study. How to prepare before the Bible study, what to do when you show up for the study, how to arrive and park around the corner if you need to, and all these kinds of little prat all the way through the, the how to socialize, all that. Well, I cut trimmed all that out, and I just want to talk about in the study itself. The problem is, like Cameron said, when when I when I do the other stuff, people are like, "Well, I wish you had more time to cover this." So I said, "Okay, we're just going to cover it in the Bible study." But then there were a lot of questions yesterday about you know peripheral. Things around, which are good, but it just unfortunately um, takes away from the ability to cover as much as we'd like to. And this week, the purpose is really not to be covering as much of the basic soul-winning stuff. I feel like you have to cover some of that, but starting today, we're going to get into that our District Six initiative and grow and in, in evaluating your church and all that kind of thing. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass out our church evaluation form. And I need a couple volunteers to help with this. Uh, and this is what we're going to do in our first two periods, this one and then the one after lunch. We're going to go through this evaluation tool. I'm going to explain it to you, explain to you how to use it, what has happened. Well, I'm going to do most, mostly how we put it together, why it's the way that it is. And then this afternoon, Pastor Cameron's going to be talking about how we followed up with this with the churches and the the feedback and the response that we got and things that we've been learning from using this tool. So some of the more practical, not that this isn't practical, but he's going to be sharing a little bit more of that this afternoon. So when you get that in your hands, we're going to review the local church evaluation tool. And it looks like everybody has it. So what I'm going to do is ask if... Just take if you'd take those and put them on the chair over there if you're just coming in grab one of these yeah and if you have extras over there just put them on that chair as well so when people come in and if you see somebody come in just motion and let them know that that uh, the handouts are there without disrupting class <laughs> did I say that okay now let me see I've been a pastor in the Michigan conference since 2003 and I think when I got here they had I don't I they had been doing it for a time, at least they'd tried a, a, an evaluation process they used to call Harvest Strategy. And I hate to say it, but pastors in after years nicknamed it Harvest Tragedy. Um, pastors can be cynical about programs, the conference rolls out, it's like, oh, it's another thing we have to do, and whatever. And, and I'll tell you that when you're trying to come up with tools and resources there's always somebody who says, "Well, I wish it did this, or I wish it had that, or whatever else." Um, guys, you there? We're using handouts. In fact, where did we put? Did we? Uh, oh, they're on that. Leave them there, if if you will. And then I'm going to put some on this side. I didn't think about this other door. Now you guys are in the middle, so I'll just give you. But we're this is this class. We're going through this, so you're going to want you. that. I should have thought about putting some over here. So anyway. There's always, there are always limitations with tools. We tried to, anyway, what I'm saying is, that first harvest, I have to fight it now. I I have to harvest tragedy, and the strategy tool that we used was for the purpose of helping churches to evaluate realistically where they were with their evangelistic thrust and focus and mission, because a lot of times we can think that we're in a different place than we are. And I thought it was a very helpful tool, and uh, it just kind of fell by the wayside. So when Cameron and I got into the conference office, I actually took that old tool and some other things, some things that I'd borrowed from Elder Finley, and we put together this GROW evaluation tool that we're going to go through. So I'm just telling you where we got some of the roots of it. And I'm going to go through this with you and tell you what each section is. The, uh, let me. Before that, the idea of this is that it's designed for. It doesn't have to be a pastor, but a pastor or leader to take the church board through. And there could be different settings. You could do it smaller churches, a business meeting, or whatever else. But the idea is that the leaders of the church would get together and go through this form. Now, they may fill it out together, or there may be parts of the first part that are filled out prior to the board going over it, because it may take some legwork, and you'll see what I mean by that in just a minute. So I want you to go to the top of this form, the church evaluation tool. Notice that opening paragraph, which says the opening paragraph. The opening paragraph of the book Acts of the Apostles by Ellen G. White reminds us that, quote, the church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for what? Service and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. Now, we've already stated that, but I don't think I can state it enough. We have to remember no matter what we do in the church, this has got to be our driving force. Now, some people want to take that to an extreme and and mean that's, you know, all we ever do is anything that isn't, you know, going door to door, giving studies, we don't do. No, you have things, you have to have board meetings, you have to, the church has to be cleaned or painted or the roof has to be put on. And you've heard illustrations about, Church boards arguing over the color of the carpet. But you do have to discuss the color of the carpet. Those are things that have to be done. But they can be done in a perspective of, from a a maintenance perspective, or they can be done from a mission perspective. And so that's what I want you to grasp from this first opening paragraph and this statement from Ellen White is that there are lots of things that the church does that may be administrative, may seem to be just kind of. Uh, 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 what I want to say housekeeping things but everything should be done with a mission in mind we don't want to lose the focus of our mission continuing on that paragraph now after her quote simply stated the reason our churches exist is to further the work of the gospel everything we do as a church should be rooted in this mission objective and this tool was designed to help churches become more effective in reaching that goal now there are four steps in here and uh, the, the step one, I just I was going to give you an overview, but we're just going through it. <laughs> so I'm just thinking out loud as I'm going through this thing. Step number one is church membership and attendance. Now, Pastor Cameron will talk about this too this afternoon, because church membership is a funny thing. Church membership, um, let me ask you this. If somebody asked you what your church membership was, what number would come to mind first that you would share? Would you share the attending membership? Uh, when? I mean, Sabbath morning at 9.30? Or, as Cameron likes to say, Sabbath morning at 11.35? Don't we typically think of membership in terms of the largest whatever that we can the give the number we can give. You know that the church doesn't fill up at eleven o'clock. You know there are people still trickling in. It's like, let's get the last one in, and then we'll call. For many, maybe I'm just speaking of pastors, you then you have your book membership, which is all different from. Let me just ask you, Rich, in Grand Rapids, and don't feel ashamed because I'm gonna tell you statistics elsewhere, it's gonna be the same. But what's your book membership? Do you know your book membership in Grand Rapids? Okay, Central Church is one of our biggest churches in Michigan. Now you've got, of course, Pioneer Memorial that's, you know, thousands. But most of our churches, if it's a big Adventist church, I mean, 250 or more is a big Adventist church. And in the 500s, that's a big Adventist church. What's your attending membership? <laughs> You're not allowed to run. Uh, attending membership on Sabbath. 135. Okay. <clears throat> I pastored the Academy Church for three years. Our book membership was around 485 people. Attending membership, probably around one, I'd say 150 was a high number, wouldn't you? Yeah, the head elder here now says one, probably one 100, you'd be lucky, it'd be 120. <clears throat> the point is that a lot of our, most of our churches have a book membership that is vastly different from attending membership. And when we say attending, we're talking about that at apex at 1135. okay. But 1135 membership is not reflective of Sabbath school. So what is Sabbath school mean? I'm not going to ask Rich. I'm going to say Sabbath school, Sabbath school tenants, uh, I would say it would be a fair estimation around 80, maybe 90. Is that high? I'm talking about all the Sabbath schools, kids and everything. You. Yeah. I'm He's saying closer to 50. See, I was a pastor, and I'm giving that... That that high number. That's what we do. Okay, that's Sabbath school attendance, prayer meeting attendance. Oh, I'm sorry, Rich. Why aren't you going to ask me? <laughs> <laughs> I ask you, brother. I just, I just, uh, you know, I, when most of us like to talk about the attending membership, but when we get into Sabbath school and prayer meeting attendance uh, membership, that's usually when we're like, you know, I got an appointment somewhere. So go ahead. We got over 100 in Sabbath school. Yeah. Amen. Are you, are, you, are you working on some initiative, and that's why you're like... See, you wouldn't want to share that if you didn't have over 100. If it was 60, you'd be like, ah, no, pass. But we're doing this initiative. Well, good. Praise the Lord for that. So out of 100, and what did you say attending? You've got a good number coming to Sabbath school. Good. I want to talk to you about what you're doing there. Okay. And then, prayer meeting membership. Attendance. Fifteen. <laughs> yeah, that, there the bubble just kind of right what's uh prayer meeting over here it's between about 15, and 30. about 15 and 30 given a different week right so is the church a for example this church is it a 485 member church is it a hundred is it a 120 member church is it a what do you say sabbath school 50 member church or is it a 15 to 20 15 to 30 member church you understand what i'm saying And just this step is as a church is going through this evaluation process. At first, you're just like, oh, yeah, we got a pretty good. And when you start to look at these numbers already, and the purpose of this tool is to help a church begin to see even if they feel that there are things going well, there's room for improvement. And one of the reasons for that is we are trying from a conference perspective to help our churches to grow, to improve in their in in all of their missionary work. But you can't help someone who doesn't feel they need help. And so if the evaluation tool helps, and it has, churches to say, wow, we, yeah, we, there's room for improvement there. It, it actually makes it more possible for us to impact the work in our field. So you have the, the membership process. Now, we in, in Michigan, we have a, Cameron's gonna, Cameron, you gonna share some of those uh, sh- statistical sheets? Okay, I'll let you get in that this afternoon. But we use, in the North American division at any rate, uh, we use a system called eAdventist.net to to, uh, record our church membership. It's all done online. Your church clerk, uh, well, I can't say that. Some clerks are still doing the old book thing, but most clerks are encouraged to use this online service. And we started that in 2003, I believe. And so we have records that we can access the nice thing about that is, instead of calling up some church and getting the clerk and can you go over your books, we can go online and pull the records up like that and have reports on membership for the last 15 years. So Pastor Cameron did that. He's gonna share some of that this afternoon and the churches we've been working in, he pulled up, we can do that with any church that we have and pull up the, these statistics. Uh, the church clerks can do it for your church, your pastor has access for your church and this is where to fill out the form, This is where somebody may fill those in before you're meeting together with the church because you get together and, you know, you want to have these figures. So that's where I said to actually use the form, what we've had some of the churches do is either the pastor, elder, clerk, or they get together in a group, fill out some of the details in the first part. Then when they meet together, they can discuss them. So what we asked them to do is that top line under exercise 1.1 is to fill in the total church membership according to eAdventus.net. Now, eAdventus.net is only as effective as the church clerk giving the information. And I've been in churches where uh, we have had some long-since-deceased people still on the books. So sometimes they're not reflective of reality. Um, There are a lot of churches, like you have the non-attending. Some of those people are AWOL. We've got, in Cedar Lake, I think we had... It was a lot. It was like 30 people that we just had no, even, no, no information for anymore. So in a bigger church, you can have that kind of thing. Um, that's just a little plug to keep up on your, or make sure whoever in your church is doing this keeps up on the records, yes. And, uh, but the question there, there is a, and I don't know how I feel about this. I'm torn. We had a discussion actually with the ministerial department, but the, the, what do they call it at the conference office? when you have a member who has no, there's a name for it, but if you have a missing member that you don't know, just a missing member, you can report it to the conference office, and the conference office will actually take their names and put them on the missing member list and off of your books because you don't have a way to contact them. I mean, I don't know if that, anyway, we can talk about more of that later. But that's, Cameron will get into that membership thing because that's an important part of this. So you have your church membership. Then you list your average weekly worship, average uh, Sabbath school attendance, average uh, prayer meeting attendance, and uh, Cameron, you said when you were in Kalamazoo, you know, sometimes we, figure, we put the financial figures in the bulletin. He's, he started putting these numbers in the bulletin every week. So that was a little bit of a, an eye-opener. Yes? Average member attend? No, no, no. Average attendance. Average attendance. Whoever comes. And so keeping that in mind that there are some people who come that aren't members, and still you have, <laughs> you know, those low numbers. So this is just right away a person is going to see, their church is going to see this this discrepancy. And we're hoping that one of the things it does is helps us, and that we are going to be giving more instruction as a conference going forward with this. But we've got to deal with our church books. It is not faithful. And I mean, I can't, I, uh, I, I don't know again, Cameron, how much you're going to go into this. But we, I'll tell you why we don't remove people from the books. We act like we're being loving and that's why we're doing it. We're not, we're selfish. That's why we're doing it we don't want to be inconvenienced to what's happening is it's not helpful or faithful to somebody who's struggling to just ignore them and leave their name on the books. They need visited, they need labored with. And so we're hoping that this precipitates that a little bit as churches look at this. But that's one step. And then once they've listed the total membership, exercise 1.2 is where we have them categorized. And we've already been asked to Put another age category. We used to have like a bunch of age categories. There are handouts when you come in the door that are over there on the side, over there, or there. Oh, did you have a question? Yeah, you have the handout. Is Sorry. I uh, thought you, are go the ahead. Average monthly, a monthly average, a six months, like what, what time frame? Are you I don't, you know, whatever you average, average a month. I, a month would be a sufficient average, I think. I mean, I don't think you take a six month average per se. But at any rate, um, it could be either. But then you want to take that number of total members and then divide it among the categories in the left side of exercise 1.2, senior, adult, youth, and children. Um, We've asked for, you know, we used to have, we had youth, we had all kinds of age groups there, and we tried to simplify the form, and we may have oversimplified it uh, for for this reason. When, one of the reasons for this is that if you have a church And I don't care how many members you have. Most of your members are 65 and older. You are not in a good condition. You're not going to keep, you know, because they're just, unfortunately, we're all old age positive. They're not getting younger. We're all getting older. And if we got no young people in the church, they're going to, everybody's going to die off and there's going to be nobody left. Now, granted, this does not reflect unbaptized people, that number of members, But it's still an indicator to help a church to realize, wow, we need to find a way to get more young families. And there's some churches that really are struggling with that. So you're going to take your total membership, and you're going to divide it in the age groups, and then you're going to divide each age group among these three categories, either active, supportive, or inactive. Active means they come to church and they are doing some job in the church it may not be an official title but they're at, they're doing something in the church maybe they're going on outreach and whatever else versus supportive now a supportive member is somebody who attends even periodically but you know they, maybe they don't even attend they're shut in who returns their tithe okay that would be a supportive member versus the inactive member this is the person who doesn't come Okay, so you're going to take your membership, and then you can say, of that membership, oh, we got 485 members. How many of those come to church, are active? Oh, well, 120, right? And they're going to be broken down in these categories, and of the 120 that come, uh, the majority of them are over, and this is where it would help to put a category, maybe, maybe 40 and older or 35 and older. You got that young adult. What's young adult go to again? 36, 35. which is kind of funny. 35. So maybe we do that 35 and older. And uh, uh, but that's that just helping to indicate what your church is made up of and maybe some things you need to look at. So that that's the first part of the form is just trying to get a realistic view of your membership. But 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 here's the I, I what we don't want, we tell churches I don't want to get buried in too many details. This is effective. This has been effective just as it is. Maybe there are things that can help and, and nuances that can be added. But when churches look at these details, when they fill them out accurately and look at them, it's a little bit of an eye-opener. saw another hand up. Yes. Who's that? Who? Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. Active uh, is they're coming and doing something in the church. Supportive could mean they come to church every week, but they don't involve themselves in anything. They don't take any responsibilities. They don't... Or supportive can refer to shut-ins if they're, you know, they can't come to church. So I wouldn't call them inactive because they can't come. They would if they could, but they return their tithe and things like that. So that's the distinction there. Now, oh, I'm sorry, Don. My question is similar, but a few warmer, it doesn't change anything to the church. <laughs> we, still and a large we still call them supportive. We still call them um, supportive and put them on a list that the elders need to visit but anyway um, so moving into step two step two goes into what we call core values Um, if you just follow along I'm going to read what it says here under step two the purpose of this step is to help you determine your church's core values core values are standards of behavior that people hold as essential and non-negotiable core values common to Christians would include prayer Personal Bible study, worship, and witnessing. They're the kind of things we're like, look, there are a lot of things I can leave out of my life, but I can't leave these out, right? They're non-negotiables. You follow what I'm saying? Desired values, on the other hand, are standards of behavior we wish we had or know we should have and even intend to have, but do not translate into consistent action. To determine whether a value is a core value or a desired value, we must ask the following questions. First do we consider do we assign considerable money to it? Second do we devote significant time to it? And third does it involve most of our people? Think about your local church and something in your church that basically has the most of the money or time or people involved in it. I'm going to start with people. Where are most of the people What do you have going on in your church that most of the people attend? Potluck. Hotluck. Okay. Well, potluck, you put time to it, you got people, that's a core value of your church. In other words, core values aren't mysterious things, they're very easy to identify, it's what you're invested in. So I was going to say worship service, which is, you know, that's in our churches, worship service is well attended. But now let's say, well, let's just keep reading here. Because this is what I say here. What ministry in our church involves most of the members most of the time spent each week and a considerable amount of expense? No doubt the weekly worship service would be at the top of that list and therefore a clearly observable core value. Next, consider a church that claims prayer meeting as a core value. Upon investigation, however, only 3% of the members attend. This would indicate that as much as this church may wish prayer meeting was a core value, the evidence reveals that it is only a what? Desired value. You understand what that's saying? So, and my brother used to bring up the example, a, person, a Christian may say, a, a church member may say, personal Bible study is a core value for me. But if you consistently find that person's only Bible sitting in the church every week because they forgot to take it home on Sabbath, there's something up there. You understand what I'm saying? Core values are identifiable. And so the purpose of this second step is to find out, not what a church says its core values are, but what they really are, Amen. okay? So, um, if you look at uh, uh, the next, the bottom of page two, refer to table two at the top of page three. Um, the active ministries are listed as outreach, administration, nurture. Now, go to the top of page three. I'll explain that. Here you have table two, and... Um, There's two things that you're going to do. Table two is, is bringing in two steps. You're going to go back now. Remember, you took your membership, and you divided your membership among those who are the active members, the supportive members, and the inactive members. Now you're going to take the active members and, and categorize what they're active at. What are they active in? Obviously, you can't do that with the supportive members because they're not active in a ministry. The active members are active in some ministry. Even if they don't hold the title, they're active in, ministry in some ministry of the church. So here's a sample that's, that has been filled out on the left-hand side. You've got the bulletin secretary. Okay, that's a ministry in the church. Anything that's a ministry in the church is listed here. Pathfinders, visit shut-in, supper club, church newsletter, just as an example. So you list out what you're going to do is you're going to take the active members and then you're going to categorize that ministry into one of three areas. Outreach, administration, Or nurture, okay? Outreach is that type of stuff your church does that reaches outside the church to the community. Um, Administration, those are all the functions, usually the -the behind-the-scenes kind of functions that go on in the church, but they're still necessary, right? And then nurture are the things that we do for us as church members. Now, you may have certain ministries that have multiple elements in them, but they're still going to be primarily, everything can be only primarily one ministry. Okay, even if, it, and let me explain what I mean by that. Um, oh, incidentally also, let's just read what it says under exercise, under exercise two, one there on page three. In this exercise, at least, well, I told you about that. Uh, next paragraph down. Some members will likely be involved in more than one ministry. For example, John Smith may help with the supper club and also visit shut-ins, and so would be included in the total for each ministry. Now that's a challenge we didn't know totally how to get around, you're counting him twice. But we filter that out in another step. So if John Smith is involved in, you know, you've got the left-hand column there. You've got supper club and visiting shut-ins. And he does each. He's one of the, he's the, the, where did I say? Visit, shut-ins, and supper club. He's one of the three in visit shut-ins and is one of the five in supper club. So you're counting him twice. Are you following that? Okay, now I know there's a problem with that, but we'll get back to it. Also... Bottom paragraph. Also, please note that each ministry can only represent one category. For example, Sabbath school may include outreach elements. It should include outreach elements. But the primary purpose of Sabbath school is the spiritual nurture of the members. And so it would be categorized as nurture ministry. In the same way, while our church schools involve elements from all three categories, there's outreach, there's administration, there's nurture Their primary function is to minister to Seventh-day Adventist children and would therefore be categorized as nurture. Your completed table should look like the one above. Now, the next page is just a big table that you can fill out with your ministries and your active people and you sort them out. Okay? Now, that's just helping you to identify the balance of ministry in your church. So... Let's just say, for example, that when I tally up, I, so I shouldn't have had to turn, back on page three, if you're looking at that, that, uh, those columns, and you go down to the bottom, and you've got five members of your active members involved in outreach, and three involved in administration, and seven involved in nurture, that's not a bad mix. But let's say you had five in outreach, uh, eight in administration, and one in nurture. That would indicate that you need to strengthen nurture. Let's say you had one in outreach and and seven in administration, and I don't know if I'm getting my numbers right, and seven in nurture. Well, then your outreach is weak. You understand what I'm saying? So this is just helping you to see you've taken your membership. Now you're you're looking at your membership across the, the categories of ministry that a church does, all of which are important, and you need to have healthy and strong in every one of those areas, outreach, administration, and nurture. This helps you to see at a glance where we might need to bolster things up. You follow what I'm saying? And I will tell you that from my experience, and and this, in fact, this right here that we're looking at comes from that original harvest strategy um, tool. But It was primarily for the purpose of helping churches to see what we as a conference already knew, that their balance of ministry was very weak on outreach. And a lot of churches would, and, and in fact, what a lot of churches were doing, and some still do, is when they were weak on outreach, in order to make it look better, they would just reclassify education as outreach. They'd say our education is our evangelism. Well, it certainly has an evangelistic function. But, but what would happen is they would take that, and then that would kind of, oh, we've got all these numbers over here, and it would make it look like we're really evangelistic when really we don't do anything outreach. You understand what I'm saying? Other than the school. Well, the school has a great role that it can play there. But what happens when, if, for example, if you're at a 10-grade school, what happens when they're over 14 years old? <laughs> you can't reach anybody in your community over 14. You understand what I'm saying? So this was to help a church see the need for that balanced ministry. Now, the next step is dealing with the same thing. But remember, core values. Here we're looking at people and their involvement. Now we're going to look at Finances. For the same reason, exercise two two at the top of page five. Exercise two two says, uh, "In this exercise, you will fill out table four to reflect how your church is allocating its finances, and that's just a little table below. You will need to refer to your current church budget. Now, it has surprised me uh, that there are churches that don't have budgets, which I don't I don't understand. They just don't they don't make a budget. They just Bill comes due and they pay it and there's no, I, that, would, that shouldn't be the case, but that is the case. And I know there's some churches that are very small, but I've known churches that are big enough that they should have it. But you know, budget helps you know, number one, what you're going to spend and then what you have spent and it helps you to evaluate for purposes like this. But at any rate, I address that here. If your church doesn't have a current budget, you will need to refer to your previous year's expenses as compared with your total expenses for the year. So if my expenses were $10,000 and I spent $1,000 on something, that something was 1% or 10% rather of my budget. You understand what I'm saying? Um, so you, did I say that right? $1,100. On okay. So a church, if they didn't have a budget, they need to compare. If you do have a budget, you know. You can go back and see what your total budget is and what you spent on each different thing. And you've got to take the d- budgeted areas and then you've got to, there's going to be some time to categorize them. Right, so we already talked about Sabbath school and church school and stuff. You gotta go through each line item. I mean snow plowing. Where is that? You know, oh that's gonna be under plant man, that's an administration thing, and you know, going through like that. Now, continuing on. <clears throat> Uh, Then list the percentages of local funds that you spend in each category for the year. For example, if your total budget for the year is $100,000 and you spend $15,000 on outreach ministries, $20,000 on administrative ministries, and $65,000 on nurture ministries, then you would enter 15% under outreach, 20% under administration, 65% under nurture. You didn't think you were going to have math class here today, did you? But here it is. Anyway, you follow that, it's pretty straightforward. You're just, and again, this is helping you to see of your total budget where the money's going. Now I want you to notice uh, exercise two, three. Um, The next one underneath table four says, compare the number of total active members in table one with the sum total of the three columns in table three. Okay, so remember table one was all the members but when we started counting ministries, we started counting people twice. Remember what, what we said there? So now, when we count across in table three, it says, um, again, compare the total number of active members, active members, I said total before, active members, with the sum total of the three columns in table three. So this is still the active members, so it should be the same number, but it's not going to be the same number. You know what's going to happen is, It's going to be more here, because you've already taken your active, but some of your active members are active in multiple things, so your number is going to be higher, and the point then is made that if your church is like most churches, the sum total from the columns of Table 3 will be greater than the number of active members from Table 1. This simply indicates that a few of your members are doing multiple jobs and are therefore doing most of the work in your church. And that's the whole. We we, we I, I always heard it as the 80-20 rule. And then I hear people saying the ninety five five rule. Right where where five percent of the people do ninety five percent of the work in the church. And in fact, Cameron had mentioned he might mention it today. But I'm stealing it from him now. We were somewhere recently. So hey, repetition like, deepens but say minute, but I'm to say it. <laughs> yeah, that's, No, I held off. You're gonna he, he will whack, he will wax eloquent on some things. But we were at a church where, and I think you may have alluded to this the other day, but we were at a church where um, we were doing some training, and one of the leaders was there and just expressed the frustration. It's like, we have we a have 100-member church or 150-member, I don't know, and we got, only got 10% of the, or 10 people, sorry, we've got 10 people that do everything in the church. And Cameron's response was, well, let me ask you a question. What if you only had a 10-member church? How would you feel? Would you feel discouraged? No, I'd feel excited because everybody's involved. And he said, well, the reality may be that you do only have a 10-member church. Mm. Sometimes we allow ourselves to get discouraged because we see all the numbers and we just count them all. Um, We do want to try to get more involvement. And this step here is to try to point out that if there are people doing all, just a few people doing all the jobs, how do we get other people involved, okay? Um, that's That's a kind of a byproduct of this step. But the main point of this step is to see the differences in our finances. And once again, and I'll give you a practical example of this. I was in one of the pastor, one of the churches I pastored here in Michigan. When I got into that church, they were at least thirty thousand dollars in. The, no, no, no. They were sixty thousand dollars in the red. Um, what What happened is the church school had dwindled. And the conference, if you didn't know this, the the Michigan conference requires you to have a certain number of students per teacher because of the, and and if you fall below that, they will penalize your church. So on top of what you pay, then you pay an extra amount to have that teacher. So we were, we are, we had students had dropped below and we were paying in on that and we were behind on, on bills. uh, And it wasn't just the school, but we total, we were $60,000 in the red. Now, I had gone through this harvest strategy tool before, and so I had these figures we're looking at right here in my head, this, this, this concept in my head. And we were having a finance committee meeting. So I'm looking over the paper, and in my head, I'm going through, and I'm looking at these different... And basically, what I was looking at primarily was outreach. How much of our total budget, and the total budget... It was over 100000 I can't remember exactly what our number was for the total budget for the church. 120, 130, let me just say that. So I'm looking at the, the figures on our annual year end budget. We're, we're, we're there to make a budget for the next year. And I looked at the categories, every category that could be classified as outreach. And there were two there was community services and personal ministries. There was I think there was an evangelism line, but there was nothing there. So the only two categories we had were personal ministries and community services. And I want to say it was under 3% total for the whole budget. Those two all together. And so we had, I want to say the bulk of that was cost for community services center. It was like 2 point, let's just say we had 2.4% and then we had 0.6% in personal ministries. Out of our entire budget, we were spending 3% for the mission of the church. And I looked at that and I told him, I said, Gentlemen, I said, I'm looking at these numbers and I highlighted that. And I said, I don't see how the Lord can bless us when the very reason that we exist for only gets 3% of our budget. Not that the other things aren't important. I said, I want to make a recommendation. I would like to see us going into this next year to commit $10,000 to evangelism, put it on the line item. And I know it's a step in faith, but I said, look, if we, if we close our doors, I'd rather close our doors being found by the Lord doing what he called us to do than not. Amen. And that finance committee backed me on this. I said, you're right, Pastor, we need to do this. Now, we're $60,000 in the red. Folks, by the end of that year, we were in the black. Our church treasurer, who is not an upfront guy, wanted to get upfront and talk to the church. And he said, in 15 years of being treasurer in this church, I have never seen this church in the black until this year. Because we put the mission first. Now, I know I, I mean, that sticks with me. I'm just like, even as I'm thinking about it, man, the Lord, the Lord blessed us for putting his work first. Now, keep in mind, we looked at everywhere else. We wanted, didn't want to be extravagant in our spending. I mean, sometimes you just can cut in areas that you're just being extravagant in. But I think our church was being faithful in what they were paying for different things. But we just... Um, we didn't have that money in mission. We didn't know how it was, where it was going to come from. But we put it there and pledged it there because we looked at this and realized that we were unbalanced in our um, percentages. And I'll talk about what I mean, but that doesn't mean 33 and a third, 33 and a third, 30. I'll tell that in a minute. Don? It's being intentional. Yes? Pastor Harry brought our church to the realization of more outreach and 25% of our combined budget when it's paid on the Sabbath, it goes directly to evangelism, and we've helped our missionaries, local missionaries go. Amen. Amen, brother. Our, buddies, you know, our evangelism is growing so big, we're using it for other efforts. Let's pray, pray. Praise the Lord. Well, you know, and that's what we found. See, what was happening is, and this has been in almost every church I've pastored. You, we would go into the season for public meetings. And so when I'm saying evangelism, and I don't, it's not just going to public meetings. You know, we've got the whole cycle. We've talked about that. But in most of the churches, I'd pastor. I'd come into the church. Do you have any money for evangelism? No. If they're going to do a meeting, they're going to wait for the conference to say we have to do something. We've talked about that, that top down instead of the, from the bottom up uh, that we see in the early church. Conference tells us to do something. So we'll ask them how much money they'll give us and we'll, and we'll figure it out. So it wasn't planned for. And so what I was asking him to do is, we didn't even have a plan for what we were going to do, particularly in a meeting. We just said, let's put the money there. And then when we need it, it'll be there. It won't be like, oh, where are we going to get it from? And it's being intentional. Now notice the conclusion here on page five. It says in the middle of the page, it says, in evaluating the results of the exercise in step two, you should gain a clear indication of your church's core values and whether or not the mission of the church is one of them. Because your churches vary in size of membership and financial means, there is no set percentage for the categories listed above. Furthermore, due to the costs associated with church buildings, administrative costs, and church schools, nurture costs, it is not expected that a church's budget will be equally divided between the three categories. However, if the percentage in the outreach column falls below 10%, and this wasn't, we didn't do a study on this. This is just a number we pulled out and said, what's a reasonable one? Uh, I think, Wes, you had the number. You said it ought to be higher, but we, we, we worked together on this. Um, Pastor Wes and myself and Elder Royce Naiman, our, our ministerial director, and Cameron had worked together on this um, form. If the percentage in the outreach column falls below 10% of the out, of total budget of the church, it is clear that the mission of proclaiming the three angels' messages to the world has ceased to be a priority of your church. So again, you see, just, it's for evaluation purposes to help them know where they are. And granted, you're not going to necessarily have, well, we have 33% of our budget here and 33%. No, building costs are extensive and things like that. The idea is you, you don't want to have any one of these, and it doesn't have to just be outreach. You don't want any of them where you're not putting any intentional effort into it. You want to have every ministry of the church to be a balanced ministry. So again, that's, you see, again, this, this is all for purpose of evaluation. Then we go into step three, and these are church growth indicators. I took these from Elder Finley. I don't know if they originated with him or what have you, but um, I I saw I had a church, uh, a member from a church in Ohio, share with me uh, a form that they received from him, and I asked if I could get that form and incorporate it, and so I did. Okay, notice the the, reading underneath step three. It says the purpose of this exercise is to evaluate the growth potential for your church and to enable you to maximize your strength and strengthen your areas of weakness. So in exercise 3.1 rate each question on a scale of 1 to 10 with 10 being the highest and 1 being the lowest. Number 1 our congregation is passionate about the growth of God's kingdom and places priority on growth. Now keep in mind the church when I mentioned going over this with the board it may be that the statistics are filled in ahead of time but I would this you will do together as a church so you would read it and then you, you may be some discussion And maybe it would be the pastor and the elders versus the whole church board who do this, and then they share the results. But it wouldn't just be the pastor or one person. So you get a few people, and they're weighing in. And this is self-evaluation. And at one point, we were concerned that, well, you know, I mean, you could think a lot better about yourself. But we have uh, found from this process, which Cameron will share later today, that the churches did a a pretty fair evaluation of where they were from the statistics we combine. Again, he'll I hate to keep saying that, but I'm not getting into that. You're I'm getting into the details. It's going to be... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, now I see where he's going. We have this discussion because he's, it's that kind of when somebody comes in and says, now, to this is kind of humdrum, but boy, later on it's going to be... And then, if you're the guy that has to come in and fill that, it's like, I wish you would just say it's going to be a dud. It's going to be really a drag and boring. I hope you keep your eyes open. And then you're not expecting much, but if you expect more... All my point about all that is, is he's going to be taking these things and sharing you the real results that we got from the churches and the interaction with the churches. And I think those practical experiences and examples are going to help you in your own church context. Uh, Number two, our church board consistently places the growth of God's church at the top of our board meeting agenda. The Seventh-day Adventist Church manual says that that's how our board should be run. Is that what's happening? Number three, we have an effective prayer ministry with organized prayer groups regularly meeting to pray for lost people. Ellen Weitz makes, a, makes a, a, a statement that that is something that ought to be part of our churches. Number four, we are intentional about growth and are consistently equipping our members to use their spiritual gifts in a variety of multifaceted outreach activities. Okay. Now, I'm not going to read through all of these with you. Um, I want to jump into the next thing, but they go through those questions, and then in exercise 3.2, as you evaluate it, then you want to tally your score, and if you got 50 or below, you're declining in membership, 50 to 60, maintaining but not growing, 60 to 70, experiencing low growth, 70 to 80, experiencing excellent growth, 80 or above, we we had no 80 or above. Experiencing explosive growth. And then there's your total church score, and then based on the exercise, the blank church, your church, whatever, Cedar Lake Seventh-day Adventist Church, uh, Grand Rapids Central Seventh-day Adventist Church, is currently what? Declining in membership, maintaining but not growing in membership, uh, whatever thing it is up there. Okay? Another point of evaluation. And what we found is statistically, with the other things we've looked at, this is a pretty accurate tool for where the church is in its growth. Um, Finally, step four. Now, step four is going to take us a little bit more time. We're going to read through some stuff, and this is phenomenal. If you have not, how many of you have ever done reading on the role of the pastor in the church and pastor dependency and, and, and hovering over church and whatever? You're about to. And it's not just statements from Ellen White, statements from our history. Uh, this next section, if you go to the bottom of page six, your pastor in you, historically in both the New Testament church and the early Adventist church, the role of the pastor was quite different from what we see today. The pastor served more as an evangelist, church planter, and church trainer than one who simply cared for a particular local congregation. In a somewhat startling vision, Ellen White received and related a divine rebuke for the pastor that spent too much of his time hovering over his congregation rather than training his members for acceptable service. She wrote, The owner of a large mill once found his superintendent in a wheel pit. What's a superintendent supposed to do? In charge of the whole thing. Oversee the other employees. Make sure they are working. The owner of a large mill once found his superintendent in a wheel pit, making some simple repairs. While a half dozen workmen in that line were standing by, idly looking on, the proprietor the owner of the company, after learning the facts so as to be sure that no injustice be done, called the foreman to his office and handed him his discharge in full pay. What just happened to the guy? Got fired. fired. (laughs) In surprise, the foreman, you can only imagine, you can only imagine he's like, what do you mean I'm the only one working? Everybody's standing around and I'm looking at all the sweat on my back. I'm the only guy out there doing anything. In surprise, the foreman asked for an explanation. It was given in these words, I employed you to keep six men at work. I found the six idle and you doing the work of but one. And your work could have been done just as well by any of the six, right? It was a simple repair. It didn't need his skill set for that. I cannot afford to pay the wages of seven for you to teach the six how to be idle." The incident, this incident, may be applicable in some cases in others not. But many what? Pastors Pastors fail in... Who's the foreman she's speaking to? She's speaking to pastors here. And who are the idle ones standing by? The church church members watching while what? The pastor does stuff they could be doing. But many pastors fail in not knowing how or in not trying to get the full membership of the church actively engaged in various departments of church work. Now, I'm going to interject here. As we've been working with pastors and we've been in pastoral ministry, it isn't as easy as all that. Uh, we've got a lot of pastors trying to engage their church members and, 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 and church members will talk like they're willing to do stuff until it comes time to do stuff. That's right. And it just depends on what stuff. So anyway... It's two-sided here. We're not throwing the pastors under the bus, but, and neither is Ellen White, but she says many of the pastors fail in not knowing how, and we find that a lot. We've gotten so far away from the model we're about to look at, where do you even start? And not knowing how, and try, not trying to get the full membership of the church actively engaged in the various departments of church work. If pastors would give more attention to getting and keeping their flock actively at work, they would accomplish more good, have more time for study and religious visitation, and also avoid many causes of friction. So, please don't miss the point. Reading the paragraph below that, please don't miss the point, the serious implication of this story, rather. The foreman represents the local pastor, his workmen, the church members, the proprietor, the Lord. The Lord fired the pastor because he was teaching the members how to be idle by not getting the full membership of the church actively engaged in the various lines of church work. Let's consider how this may apply to our local congregation as we move into the next exercise. Now, this next exercise is just reading through this Q&A. We put it in a Q&A form to see this drift in our church history. Your pastor knew, top of page 8. Question, how was the role of the pastor different in early days, in the early days of the Adventist church from what we know today? James White said in a review article in 1859, we have no, what? Settled. settled pastors. So you understand, well, it goes into it. We have no settled pastor over our churches, but our ministers are all missionaries as were the early ministers of Jesus Christ. Now you're thinking, oh, they're all overseas foreign missionaries. That's not what he's saying. Question, what exactly is a settled pastor? Again, James White says in another article, it does not appear to have been the design of Christ that his minister should become what? stationed salaried preachers what does that mean stationed one location for a long period of time okay or even a shorter period of time you're sta- you're stationed in a place this is you have a place you can call your church and i mentioned this earlier this week uh, in 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 many parts of the world in the seventh day adventist church pastors are pastors over 15, 20, or more churches. We, Pastor Cameron and I met a guy, I told you, they brought they, this to his conference in, I want to say Ghana, I could be wrong about that, sent him here to the States to go to seminary to learn how to be a pastor. <laughs> He's pastoring 19 growing churches where he is. Obviously, he can't be there all the time. And what we've found statistically is the most growing Adventist churches in the world church are the ones who don't have as much pastoral involvement the way that we see here. So churches, a lot of times, it's stationed, salaried preachers. They get a salary, they put in a certain place. That's what the settled pastors were. And so when James White said our ministers are missionaries, he didn't mean they're going overseas. He just meant they were free to go and work the field. Given studies and raising up interests and things like that, okay? Now, that's how he describes the work back in the 1850s and 60s. Question, next question. What was the reasoning behind this model of ministry? HMS Richard Sr. said this. When I was baptized and later became a young preacher, we looked upon churches that had to have settled pastors over every flock as being what? Decadent. (laughs) Most of our preachers were out on the firing line, holding meetings, winning men to Christ, and raising up new churches. Then every few months, they would come around and visit the churches that had already been established. This seemed to be, according to our view of it, the plan of the apostolic church, right? The biblical model. We were trying to follow the biblical model. What was the purpose? To get out in the field and win more souls. Raise up more believers. That was the reasoning behind it. Uh, The next statement, similarly, from A.G. Daniels. Uh, When he was the conference president back in the early 1900s, he says, we have not settled our ministers over churches as pastors. Notice the next phrase. To any what? What did James White say? Top statement. We have no settled pastors. Now, a few years later, or maybe a few decades later, what's A.G. Daniels say? We don't have many settled pastors. So you already see the drift, right? Right? It's already shifting. And notice what he says. We have not settled our ministers over churches as pastors to any large extent. We have held held ourselves ready for field service evangelistic work, and our brethren and sisters have held themselves ready to maintain their church services and carry forward their church work without what? Now, it's interesting. The part in the ellipsis that's not in there that I thought was coming next, and I thought it wasn't, is he says we have not settled our ministers over churches as pastors over churches as pastors to any large extent, but then he says in a few of our larger churches. Now, if you need multiple pastors in a church, the reality is it should not be in a larger church. That's right. They got a bunch of members that could do the work. The work. So, so we, when a church gets, and this is our mindset now, when a church gets bigger, it's like, now we need a pastor. We have struggling, dying churches in, in Michigan that could use more pastors at the time to train the people and start to establish and build up the work in a struggling area. But the pastors go to the big church because we got all these members and we need a pastor to wait on us. That's that's what began to happen, and that's a lot of what we see today. And you know how it is: you get the bigger church, you are. I mean, uh, I don't, I don't know, pa- 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 Wes. How many pastors on the staff at Pioneer Memorial? <laughs> are you going to bleed the fifth on that? Six or seven, I think. Six or seven pastors, right? They've got thousands of members 3, with three thousand, roughly, somewhere in there. Okay, so and now notice the next statement. Go ahead. 30? Something like that. 30 elders in the church, yeah, I mean, <laughs> so anyway, you see, you're starting to see this shift here, you go to the next statement, now this statement was printed in the Seventh-day Baptist recorder, the Baptists were asking Seventh-day Adventists how our churches were growing so fast, okay, this was uh, printed originally in 1908 and reprinted in the review in 1909, The answer was given them all Seventh-day Adventist clergymen are what? Missionaries, not located pastors, and are busy preaching, teaching, and organizing churches the world over. So you're getting that picture of the model. Next question. What were the members to be doing while the pastors were preaching, teaching, and organizing the world over? This now from the pen of Ellen White. She says, We cannot expect that ministers will be permanently located in settled charges as they are located in other what? denominations but each church member must individually learn to bear responsibility and become a worker making the advance of the cause of truth the first and highest interest in his life pretty plain right Uh, that was in 1889 again in 1902 she's quoted here as saying there should not be a call to have settled pastors over our churches but let the life-giving power of the truth impress the individual members to act leading them to labor interestedly to carry on efficient missionary work in each locality. As the hand of God, <laughs> the church is to be educated and trained to do what? Effective, Effective service. Is members are to be the Lord's devoted Christian workers. Yeah. So while the pastors are out raising up churches, the members, they were the ones running the local church. They were the ones doing it, and they weren't just sitting idle. it. They were also reaching souls in their own areas. This is how things had been working in our church and and uh, it looks like here in uh, the turn of the century Ellen White was wanting to impress I mean you know I th- you can only imagine the Adventist had to be like well how come it's a- the church of the Baptist church or the Methodist church they got a settled pastor right and you know it's an- it was appealing to them and she's trying to say hey look we don't want to go down that road <coughs> bottom of the page eight question in laboring in other fields was the minister called to abandon his church. Now, I worked in Michigan when I first came into ministry. I want to say it was about three years into ministry. And we had a group of pa- us pastors. We were looking at these statements from Ellen White like this, and then these other ones. If you, if you take her any one of these databases with the writings and search hovering and read about pastors hovering over the churches, I mean, there's just multitudes. And so we studied all these. And like, wow, we're, we're as, as uh, Cameron says sometimes, we were doing the... Wrong job, right? We we're doing it well, but it was the wrong job for a pastor. We're, you know, that's the job for the members. That, and so there became these. We had these small groups get together, and we had these discussions. And like, why are we even doing this? We need to just get. We need to just leave our churches on their own. Let them. They're going to have to sink or swim, and we're going to go out and we're going to give Bible studies. And well, I remember thinking that doesn't seem like what she's trying to get at here. But we had members that actually left the ministry altogether because they didn't want to hover over the churches. And their idea was, in order to do that, we abandon the churches. Well, question. In laboring in other fields, was the minister called to abandon his church? Notice the statement. Many members of the church have been deprived of the experience which they should have had because the sentiment has prevailed that the minister should do all the work and bear all the burdens. Either the burdens have been crowded upon the minister or he has assumed those duties that should have been performed by the members of the church. Ministers should notice, take the officers and members of the church into their confidence and teach them what? How to to labor for the master. Thus, the minister will not have to perform all the labor himself. And at the same time, the church will receive greater benefit than if he had endeavored to do all the work and release the church members or the members of the church from acting the part which the Lord designed that they should. Look at the ministry of Jesus. What did he do? Did he abandon the disciples? Say, "Okay, guys, go. No, he would send them out. Then he would meet with them. He took them with him. He modeled labor, right? And in everything the Lord did, he was teaching them how to work. He didn't abandon them. He trained them. And so we don't see the pastor as uh, abandoning the church and going out on his own, but the role of the pastor, we don't see the pastor hovering over the church, but we see the pastor as a trainer in the church, training and trying to arrange and organize the church and teach the church members how to labor. Question, and the, the next question on page nine now, just how effective was this apostolic model? Um, Russell Burroughs shares shares this in his book, Recovering an Adventist Approach to Life and Mission of the Local Church. In an interview with a local newspaper in 1886, GB Star, an Adventist evangelist, explains the reason for the rapid growth of Adventists. Well, in the first place, replied the elder, we have no what? Settled. Settled pastors. Our churches are taught to take care of themselves while nearly all of our ministers work as evangelists in new fields. Okay? How effective was it? It was effective. If you look, in fact, I wish I had with me a growth chart but uh, I think Russell, it was Russell Burrell, he was, he's done a growth chart and he showed, he's shown over the years into the 1900s the number of pastors per church and the growth, the annual growth of the church. And the more we've settled our pastors, the growth just, you know, declines. Um, and again, we see in parts of the world, this is not just back then. Today in the Adventist church, in certain parts of the world, we're, this is the way the church runs. And It's growing. It's in North America and our westernized countries where we have this settled pastor mentality that it is not growing. Next question. Did all our churches appreciate this model of ministry? (laughs) Ellen White says in 1895, many churches collectively and individually have been so far removed from God, so separated from his spirit. They have left souls to perish all around them while they have been calling for workers to labor in the church. This labor has been granted them, and the impenitent and the sinner have been robbed of the messages which the Lord would have given them, right? The minister comes and labors over the church and hovers over the church, and now guess what? The place that he could have gone, he can't go anymore. You remember what happened in the early church when the apostles got to a point where they couldn't do as much preaching. They realized that they weren't able to get out as much because they had more to deal with in the church. They appointed the deacons. So they wouldn't be left waiting tables. There wasn't nothing wrong with waiting tables, but they realized that somebody else can do this while we're doing the work that we're doing. Uh, The next statement from 1901, she says, the churches are dying and they want a minister to preach to them. They should be taught to bring a faithful tithe to God that he may strengthen and bless them. They should be brought into working order that the breath of God may come to them. They should be taught that unless they can stand alone without a minister... They need to be converted anew and baptized anew. They need to be born again. <laughs> yeah, wow, indeed. So, question, next question. What cautions were given against drifting to a pastor centled model? Quite a number here. Uh, these are, first one from 1902, Elamite says, Our ministers are not to hover over the churches, regardless the churches, or, I'm sorry, regarding the churches in some particular place as their special care. And our churches should not feel jealous and neglected if they do not receive ministerial labor. They should take, they should themselves take up the burden and in labor, I'm sorry, in labor most earnestly for souls, believers are to have root in themselves, striking firm root into Christ that they may bear fruit to his glory. Next statement from 1901. If the ministers would get out of the way, if they would get into, go forth into new fields, the members would be obliged to bear responsibilities and their capabilities would increase by use uh, and the next one is by A.G. Daniels who said when we cease our forward movement now this is you know looking forward and he sees this decline beginning when we cease our forward movement work and begin to settle over our churches to stay by them and do their thinking and their praying and their work that is to be done then our churches will begin to weaken and to lose their life and spirit and become paralyzed and fossilized and our work will be on a retreat he was not a prophet, but you could almost say with that one. Okay, the next statement is a statement from a French Catholic priest on the decline of the Advent movement. Shared in Russell Burrell's book, he said, When Adventists were a movement, that is, when they had no temples and institutions, we Catholics feared them. But they have settled down and are organized and talk a great deal about organization and money. It is a fact that when a movement ceases to move and settle down, not only in its organization but also in its thinking, it is high time to watch out for decline. It's amazing, isn't it? So, I went... Ellen White says top of page 10 I may skip over a couple of these she says a serious and perhaps unsuspected hindrance in the success of truth is to be found in our churches themselves when an effort is made to present our faith to unbelievers the members of the church too often stand back as if they were not an interested party and let all the burden rest where the upon the minister for this reason the labor for this reason the labor of our most able ministers may at times may has been at times productive of what Little good. The very best sermons may be preached. The message may be just what the people need, yet no souls be gained as sheaves to present to Christ. Notice this. So you can hold an evangelistic meeting. The sermons are good. They're powerful. They're just what they need to be, and still you don't baptize anybody. Why? Because the members are standing back, and God's not going to bless it. Isn't that incredible? Okay, jumping ahead. Question. What effect does a pastor-centered model have on the church member's Ellen White said in uh, Testimonies of the Church, Volume 6, wrote this in 1900, It is evident that all the sermons that have been preached have not developed a large class of self-denying workers. This subject is to be considered as involving the most serious results. Our future for eternity is at stake. The churches are withering up because they have failed to use their talents in diffusing light. Many who possess real ability are what? Rusting from inaction." because they do not know how to set themselves at work in missionary lines. Wow. The other statements are similar and very powerful, but I'm going to jump to the last part, question, uh, the last question there anyway. Top of page 11. What is God's vision for each local congregation? The first quote there says, careful instruction should be given, which will be as lessons from the master, that all may put their light to what? Practical, Practical use. use. Let someone who has ability... Lay out before these inactive ones the line of work they could do. This does not have to be the pastor. It could be an elder in the church. It could be another leader. Let small missions be established in many places to teach men and women how to use and thus increase their talents. Small missions. Um, I don't know what this exactly looks like. We don't have this. So groups of believers getting together as training places for members. Which is similar to, anyway, she says, let all understand what is expected from them and many who are now unemployed will become true laborers. And I'm going to skip to the last statement there, which is very well known um, or should be about every church being a training center. Ellen White says, Ministry of Healing 149, many would be willing to work if they were what? Taught how to begin. They need to be instructed and encouraged to do what? To work. (laughs) Every church should be a training school for Christian workers. Its members should be taught how to give Bible readings, how to conduct and teach Sabbath school classes, how to help, best help the poor and care for the sick, how to work for the unconverted. There should be schools of health, cooking schools and classes in various lines of Christian help work. There should not only be teaching, but what? Actual work under experience and structures. Notice this is not just giving Bible studies, not just outreach. Teaching Sabbath school classes, conducting health schools, there should be, the church should be training all the members to be able to do something in the work of the church. And every church, this is the vision that God had for every church. Let the leaders let the teachers rather lead the way in working among the people, and others uniting with them will learn from their example. One example is worth more than many precepts. So in this Q and A, we see the drift, we see the slide, and we see God's vision for his church and what it is not currently. And as the church is going through the evaluation tool, again, Cameron will touch on this a little bit more, this, this section has been a real eye-opener for a, lot, eye-opener for a lot of saints to see that this, in a little, not just an eye-opener, a little convicting, right? Wow, well, I need to be doing more. Last part, exercise 4-2, reflecting on the reading that we just did, discuss the following questions. Is our church, local church currently following the model of ministry outlined in the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy? Most churches have to answer no to that. Number two, how might the role of our minister look different from what it presently is? Number three, what might the role of our lay leaders look different? Or how might? Number four, how might the role of our members look different? Number five, how could all of our roles work together more effectively? And in conclusion, most churches using this tool will discover that they are not currently following the model of ministry outlined in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. Too many pastors spend too much time doing the work that members should be doing thus robbing the members of their experience that the Lord wants them to have and too few pastors spend enough time training their members for effective missionary service thus robbing the world of the message it desperately needs to hear on the back page in the Michigan conference of Seventh-day Adventists, we continue to pray for revival recognizing that all true revival must be accomplished by reformation there must be a change Inspired Council reminds us that, quote, the work of God in this earth can never be finished until the men and women comprising our church membership rally to the work and unite their efforts with those of ministers and church officers. The ministers may do their part, but they can never perform the work that the church should do. Finally, the accomplishment of this goal will require a commitment of all of our resources, our time, our talents, and our energy to the service of God more than this. It will demand earnest prayers for the special outpouring of the Spirit of God, untiring labor in the cause of christ and indomitable faith that god will fulfill his promise to us now folks if you're just going through this now i hope you're seeing that we are way off the mark we're way off the mark and i wish i had an easy answer for how to fix it i don't but i can tell you that here in the michigan conference we are working on practical ways to do just what we're reading here and we're running into hurdles, and the devil throws them out there, but we're going forward. We've met, as I said, ministerial department, Sabbath School Personal Ministry Department. We've met with our conference administration. They're all on board with making this happen. How we're going to do it, we don't know, but we do know this. It's never going to work without your help. Amen. It's never going to work with every one of us. But And, 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 and the Holy Spirit of God, as you said, the Spirit of God can't come and finish the work in this earth until we rally all together. And God is doing this. This is what God is doing for us. And you even being here and hearing what we're going over is the Lord tapping you on the shoulder. And now you can't. Now you wish you could go back and forget everything you just heard because now you're responsible. Amen. Amen. Because we wouldn't want to be irresponsible. Sister. I had heard about um, the model as far as um, the Adventist pastors are supposed to be on the go, not stationary. And they may have multiple churches but I definitely didn't realize the details. So this is good information. My question to you is, what's the balance? So if our pastors are out there doing great work with the community, then that means the elders and deacons are doing the Sabbath service then every every Sabbath? Yeah. That's a great question. And the answer is going to be phenomenal. And it's going to be this afternoon. So what Pastor Cameron's going to do this afternoon is we have taken these, we've met with the board. Once the churches have done this, we have gone... And met with those boards and discussed the results. And beyond that, we have uh, given direction and guidance and what have you. So all that practical application stuff is what Cameron's going to get into after afterwards and share some of the details of what's come up. And again, how that can help you in your local context to start to implement some of these things. So it's lunchtime, but we've got more time this afternoon at 2.15. We'll be back here. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the guidance you've given us through the spirit of prophecy, Lord, the model you have shown us in the word, and Lord, we ask your forgiveness for departing from that, but we know, Lord, that you are calling us to something better and you are more than willing to give the spirit to us then we are to give good gifts to our children. We need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our church. We want to see the revival that is pictured here in this model of ministry. We want to finish the work that you've given us to do and hasten the coming of Jesus. So Father, bless us to this end. We pray that you would bless uh, the food that we're about to partake of. May it strengthen us to serve you better. Bring us back to uh, study and learn and worship you this afternoon. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse